popolitikin.com. What's up? Welcome to another edition of popolitikin.com. You know, Artist Spotlight, you know, Politic with Poe. You know, how you doing, how you living? Appreciate you for coming through, listening to this podcast once again. If you're new to the show, Poe Politicking is self-help meets hip-hop. So we're trying to, trying, to, trying to learn you a little bit, but we're trying to keep you hip. So make sure you like us on Facebook, Poe Politicking. Subscribe on iTunes. Whatever podcast you're listening to, subscribe to it. Whatever way, like whatever way, Podmatic, uh, Stitcher, whatever way you're listening to it. And then also, what's that? Like on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes. Yeah, so YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, all that. Yeah, get at me. And today's show, I'm politic with Marcus Dark from Iraq City, California. Yeah, so we, we go all around the world, man, to politic with new artists and everything. So we got him on the show. The interview's in progress. Yeah, I can't find the first part of it. So this part right now. He's talking about how he met R. Kelly, because he met R. Kelly, he was signed to Death Row. So very interesting story from Marcus Marcus Dark. So we're about to go into that right now. And like I said, make sure you subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, all that. I'll holla. Go on. Yeah. Marcus Dark. The greatest. Come with me. All you ladies of love and hip hop. Come with Marcus Dark. We gon' pimp this Marcus Dark style. You know how I do. You know what I do. Fat pussy, put your paragraphs of 
shit being quoted Peep the weakness in these souls, got them open Bow down, turn around, now I'm all in it Smoothie smooth, all in a joint like I'm swimming Pay attention, I hit Mary joint without no gifts No flowers, Gucci's, none of that shit Just a bottle above that Let's hit some hugs that Let's hit a tub, and then she said love She took it too far, I had to bounce back to that sticky shit I left in my car Yeah, back to my car Then I skirted on off 27 acres I hope this dude ain't lost He jumped the boss And this is how it's gotta be S-M-O-O-V-O-E now Put some smooth on it Now I sound smooth on it Now I know why I ass really want it Come with me Cause you cold baby run quick see Can't use a Politicking.com. So Sean had another cat that he was singing with named Vince. I met up with the brothers. You know, we all started singing and harmonizing together. And at the time, I was managing R. Kelly, his name Rob. I was managing Rob. And I took Rob everywhere, man. I took him to Jive Records. Every outlet that I had in Chicago, I took Rob there. And we were turned down. Wayne Williams, the guy who proclaims to, you know, have discovered Rob. I took Rob to Wayne Williams, had Rob sit down, play for him. And Wayne was like, nah, man. And I was like, what you mean? He's like, nah, he don't, he don't have a look. He, he too ugly. And I was like, what? I'm like, I'm like, what are you talking about, dog? I'm like, did you hear that shit he just played on that keyboard and sang for you? And he was like, yeah, but, you know, we, we looking for another look. Wanted the light skin kind of oh, thing. yeah, you know, you always want the light skin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Wesley changed that. Brother Wesley, thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, anyway, um, you know, he t- we got turned down. So it was a show in Chicago at the Regal Theater. It was kind of like, you know, showtime at the Apollo. They had it once a month. You know, you go out and do your thing on stage and the, and the crowd pick the winner. So myself, Sean, Vince, we went and did the show. We came in second place. Rob, he went and did the show by himself. He came in second place. So one day we were at the studio doing some background work. And um, I was like, hey, we should do the Regal together. And everybody was like, yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. So we, we started rehearsing right there in the studio, you know, working on dance steps and coming up with dance steps and choreography and all kind of stuff like that. And from that day on, after the night in the studio, we started waking up every day 
9, 10 o'clock. We rehearse 10, 12 hours a day, every single day, all day. Five days a week, sometimes seven days a week. Oh, Jackson Five in that shit, huh? <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. We we were getting it, man, because that's what you really have to do. You you got to you got to work at it. You got to treat it like a job. You got to you got to perfect your craft. And we did the regal, and we won, and we never looked back. We won everything after that. We went on to win Natalie Cole's big break show. Uh, won a hundred thousand dollars on that show. It was the American Idol. Back in that era, mm. uh, we came out to California. They flew us out to California three times. We were on the show three times, and then down to the uh, semifinals, then the finals, and we won the finals. A lot of people were on that show. Eric Renee was on that show. You know, there's a few people that were on that show that are doing, still doing their thing today. But um, we were the one and only uh, grand, uh, I was going to say grand prize winners. <laughs> We were the one and only winners, man. And then the show ran for one season, and that was it. But um, after that, we just started doing, you know, kept doing our thing. We got a record deal. We already, you know, had a record deal with a record company called Tab Dash Records. Uh, may he rest in peace, guy named David Hyatt. And nobody, you know, everybody wanted us, but David had us, and David didn't want to sell. He didn't want to sell our contract to nobody, especially after we did that TV show. Like, we had everybody, MCA, Quincy Jones. We had, oh, man, everybody was offering us millions of dollars and all this kind of stuff. But David Hyatt didn't, he, he you know, he knew what he knew what he had. But somehow, Jive was in the right place at the right time, and they offered to buy, I mean, yeah, they offered to buy the group, and that's why. And we got transferred to Jive Records, but that's also the time that we was born. What happened? Because you, know. you, you kind of cut off. So what you say again? Which part? When you said they offered what? They offered uh, um, Jive some money. They oh, okay. Offered, they offered them three hundred thousand dollars. R. Kelly? No, the group. Oh, they, okay. They, they offered Jive three hundred thousand dollars to buy our contract from Tab Dash Records. Uh huh. And they called. I guess, like I said, I guess they called. Uh, a tab dash at the right time because they sold, mm-hmm. and we were sold to Jive Records for three hundred grand, mm-hmm. and that's how we got on Jive Records. That's how R. Kelly got on Jive Records. So Jive told me, very wise to himself, he told me, "I don't want Robert as a solo artist. We saw you all as a group." I want a group, but I don't want to lose Robert because I feel like he's the next Teddy Riley. So can, you know, I know you all are going through your thing. Can you work it out? And I was like, sure, we can work it out. But Rob really didn't want to work it out. We also had another deal on the table with Quincy. And so in my eyes, I was like, well, should I? And Quincy was like, okay, we'll, we'll take the group with or without Robert. So, I really didn't care. I wanted us to all be together because we had a chemistry that was just incredible. But it didn't work out that way. And Rob got three guys off the west side of Chicago, named them public announcement. Hmm. And if you look at the first single called Vibe, you'll notice in the video, public announcement is in shadow. 
because J Jive's thinking was we'll make the public think this is the same group. They just changed the name. Mm. So they didn't show the guys in public announcers, announcements face. Their faces. They didn't show their faces. And Rob proved himself to Jive and then that's why you saw that public announcement got fizzled right on out. Like right after sex me. So mm. yeah, that's 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 how that happened. And Jive kind of strung us along, keeping us under contract, wouldn't let us go because Rob told them that Quincy was going to sign us. So they didn't want us coming out at the same time because, you know, here are big break winners. And R. Kelly goes solo. MGM got an album coming out. They didn't want any of that. They just, so they kept us under contract, wouldn't let us out. After Rob's album came out, public announcement, then they released us. Well, wasn't instantly, but they finally released us. I would say because, um, you know, politicking, but a lot of people don't understand, like, especially in the music business, like, a lot of people don't understand sometimes, like, you'll have record labels sign you just so you can't come out, like you just said, to sign you just to keep you from coming out with another artist and messing up his sales. It's real, man. It's, it's really real. I've been through it. It's real. And, you know, all you're thinking about is, you know, how, hey, listen, I, I got to eat. <laughs> mm -hmm. And they, but they, and they spoon feeding you just to keep, you know, the uh, contract obligations up to par. But it's it's real and it's not, it's not a game. And then I was also re reading that you were signed to Death Row. Yeah, I'm here. I said I was reading that you were signed to Death Row too. Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So was what were you doing? Like producing, singing, songwriting? What were you doing in Death Row? Describe Every, Death Row. Everything you just named. So how was that? Like, what what was the years you worked with Death Row and everything? Uh, I came in right after the Chronic drop. Hmm. Right after the Chronic drop. So the early age, basically. Oh yeah, early. I'm singing background on a lot of the uh, Chronic remixes or and radio edits, things like that. You know, I'm saying I'm doing uh, background like ain't nothing but a G thing, baby. You know, uh, songs like that mm -hmm. on on Chronic. I'm singing backgrounds, and you know, Drake would just cause. You know, I had a different some some different members than I ended up with, but at the time he would call us down to the studio and we'd go down and do our thing, and you know, it's interesting story how I got signed to Death Row. Well, how did you get signed to him? <laughs> well. After the R. Kelly situation, I was like, I gotta get out of Chicago. I was like, I gotta go back out to California. I gotta get, I gotta get out of Chicago. I go back out to California, and I gotta, you know, all these people that I had met, you know, during the times that I was with R. Kelly and MGM. I gotta go make some connections and make some things happen. And so that's what I did. I came back out here. I drove out here. With my Honda Accord, sixty bucks in my pocket, man. Seriously, I had sixty dollars and. You know, gas was real cheap, and I had a Honda Accord, so I made it. I ate Lay's <laughs> potato chips. I never forget it. I ate Lay's potato chips so I wouldn't burn up my gas money <laughs> to make sure I made it all the way here. Uh -huh. I, that's what I ate, and I, I got out here, and I slept in my car at studios. I knew all the, the hot studios where people would record. So I would post up and sleep in my car outside the studio. And one day, 
I was sleeping. I woke up and I was, I was in sleep outside of Larrabee, Larrabee North. And I saw a bunch of brothers going into Larrabee. And I'm like, oh, man, there's got to be somebody. There's got to be somebody. So I started grabbing my, my tapes and uh, videotape <laughs> and my cassettes and all my stuff that I, I had done, you know, videotape uh, us on the show, Big Break, some cassettes of some things I had produced. I grabbed all that stuff, threw it in my bag, jumped out the car, and I waited till the last guy from the entourage walked in the studio. I ran across the street and I waited, waited till the last guy walked in, and then I walked in right behind him. And I did that because, so they think I was part of the entourage. Right, right, right. As soon as I've been in Larry before, so I know as soon as you walk in the door, there's a reception right there. A, a lady right there so I just walked in walked right past her and they were going up the steps so I started walking up the steps there was a bunch of big Samolian cats um, it, was, it was a bunch of dudes man they were huge <laughs> and Dre was like in the middle so I'm walking up the steps and I don't know why man but Dre just stopped in the middle of his, his tracks while he's walking up the steps and turned around and look down and look down the steps and look dead at me. And he was like, Who are you? And I was like, Damn. <laughs> I was like, Damn. So I just told the truth, man. I was like, Man, Dre, I'm be straight up with you. I snuck in here. I saw you coming in. I snuck in. And I'm a writer. I'm a producer. I'm a singer. I got my material right here. And I love to have a chance to sit down with you and show it to you. Because I'm really trying to do my thing. And he just paused for a second and looked at me and was like, I respect that. And he was like, man, come on up. Take a seat in the uh, lounge. I got some business to take care of. And there's some food up there. And, you know, when I finish, I, I come holler at you. And like I said, I was sleeping in my car. So, man, I went in there and pigged out. <laughs> <laughs> I went in there and pigged out, man. And he was true to his word, man. He came and hollered at me, and we talked. I showed him the video, and we were on big break. I let him hear some stuff that I had produced. And he was like, man, I'm going to help you out. And next minute, I went from that to staying in Malibu on the beach. So what made you do that? What made you take that trip to California and do sneak in to talk to Dr. Dre and all that? What inspired you to do that? Because you're not going to get nothing sitting at home. Huh. I mean, you got to get out and go get it. You got to get out and you got to go get it. It's not going to come, you know, just like that. I forget what comedian said it, but it's not. They're going to knock on the door. Who is it? Job. That, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. And I was so determined, man. I was, I was so determined to achieve greatness. And... Still to this day, I think the day you stop being determined to achieve greatness, that's the day you die, even if you're still living, breathing. And I said, we see some plaques in the background, man. So can you talk about those? Oh, man. Yeah, those I got um, it's from Above the Rim. Uh, Murder was the case. I got a song on uh, Above the Rim called Blow It Away. Actually, it used to be the Smokers Anthem back in the day, you know. If you smell any smoke, it's just me and my homies getting blown away. Oh. You know, um, and then on Murder Was the Case, 
I actually uh, wrote and produced along with my boy Tyrone Hurtin Bad. Um, it's a song on there called Horny. And it's funny because we had a smoker's anthem and then we had a stripper's anthem. <laughs> because you couldn't go in a strip club and not hear Horny. Like all the girls were dancing to it. I think I'm getting kind of horny and I like it, babe. Um, you know, all the girls were dancing to Horny. And that was really when I got a chance to do my own production. When, when I did the Above the Rim thing, I, uh, we did that. I didn't produce that. Devontae Swing and Timbaland produced that. Mm -hmm. So Horny was like, that was my freedom to be me. So that's why it came out Horny, you know, because <laughs> I'd always had this vision to do this sex music. Uh -huh. So when I when I got, you know, Suge gave me, Suge wasn't, everybody else was afraid to put my music out. But Suge wasn't afraid. So I was like, man, I'm going in. I'm going in. And, and that album, man, that we did, the name of the group was Be Brazil, for everybody who doesn't know. What was the name? Be Brazil. Oh, Be Brazil, okay. Be Brazil. Uh, so, you know, Suge gave me free reign to do my thing. And that's what I did. And that album was incredible. It's just a, a shame that the world never got a chance to hear it. So what happened with the music? Well, man, I would love the answer to that question, brother. <laughs> I'm not going to even lie to you. I would love the answer to that question. You know, I hear all kind of stories that, you know, after Pac died and Suge was going through his thing, that he took all the masters and flew them to Hawaii and put them in storage. And then I hear... You know, the FBI confiscated all the masters. I've heard so many different stories that I don't know what's true and I don't know what to believe, but I do know what is true, that I don't have my album. Uh, and I have no clue to where it is. I do know that. I said, so were you scared of Shug or did you have heart? I wasn't scared of Shug. <laughs> <laughs> you know how they, it seems like they always portray him like, I don't know, they basically portray him like as a bully and used to beat everybody up if you say something to him. That's how they portray him. So was he like that or not? Nah? Man, Suge has a bad rap. Mm. And, you know, people can... I say this all the time. I'm not speaking out of fear. I'm not speaking out of none of that. I'm speaking out of realness. What anybody can attest to, anybody that was on death row in that era, nobody can deny this at all. When you were on death row, you were taken care of. You were eating. And you weren't just eating. You were eating good. If you got in trouble, Suge got you out of trouble like that. You understand what I'm saying? Suge was a good dude. Suge is a good dude. They gave him this image of this being this monster. And, you know, I, I saw Straight Outta Compton. I thought Straight Outta I saw Straight Outta Compton a year before it came out. Um, and... I think it was a great movie, an excellent movie. I think it was excellent entertainment. Do I think it depicted Suge as the person he is? Absolutely not. Hmm. Do I think it, you know, made Drake who he was? I don't think so either. Because Drake is, you know, Drake, Drake's a, got a great heart. If it weren't for Drake, these plaques, or Suge, these plaques wouldn't be on my wall. You understand? But Dre just wasn't how they built, you know, 
his character was. That's why they always call that shit. They call it history. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hey, exactly. but I got one question for you then. So who who killed Tupac then? Man, I don't know, dog. <laughs> I I have no idea. But if you had to put have... money on it, who who would you think who, who would be your educated guess? I don't know. I don't wanna say that over the line, they might come get me. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Uh, but but on, on some real shit, I think that it was a hierarchy. You know what I'm saying? I don't I don't think. I mean, think about it, man. You you got the goose that lays the golden eggs. Are you gonna you know cut that goose's head off and and cook it and eat it? And now it's not laying no more eggs. Right. People don't realize, man, all eyes on me. The Chronic sold three, four million when it came out. Or two, two, three million, three, four. Doggy Style sold three, four. Or not four. Doggy Style sold four million. Um, Murder was a case above the rim. I think both of those are both uh, three and four platinum. Then you have Pop come to the label. He puts out All Eyes on Me. All Eyes on Me sells 7 million records. Crazy, huh? And still counting. And everything. And, and Pop was a workaholic. He was always working. So, now, we, now we, we in a different, you know, atmosphere now. You know, we talking about 10 platinum. You know, 10 times platinum. Why would you? And then he's not only that; he's becoming, movie you know, star this, and all that. huh? A movie star. Yeah, he's becoming a movie star. He's becoming all this. Why would any smart man get rid of that? Why would you kill him? Hmm. So, man, I want you to talk about your project, Twisted. Man, I did a uh, interview. Speaking of Tupac, I did an interview on a Tupac forum talking about B. Brazil and talking about uh, one of my group members that was in B. Brazil who produced half of the Machiavelli album. He did Hail Mary, he did Me and My Girlfriend, Blasphemy, Just Like Daddy. And I'm talking about the one and only Hurtin' Fan, Tyrone Rice. Mm. Uh, so I did that interview, and after I did that interview, I got a lot of calls and I got a lot of you know, emails and things like that, you know, asking me about the Beer Brazil music and where is it? Just like you just asked me, where is it? Right. I'm like, you know, I don't know, but and they're like, you know, that that sex music, man, we want it, we want we want to hear that. We want some more of that. So I was like, okay, well you know what? Just like I said years ago when I said music was going to get to this level and people were going to be saying just what they wanted on records that time had arrived we were here you know chris brown came out with a song was it chris brown um yeah i'm gonna fuck you back to sleep yeah i'm gonna say you know who i actually thought about it and this is my favorite r&b group and i they they make sex music h-town oh yeah h-town yeah that's my group because they got like yeah. lick you up uh they like yeah. you slow 
Yeah, part time lover, full time lover, sexy. They got that shit. <laughs> H Town was the shit. No but it, 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 it wasn't, to me, it wasn't H Town though, it was Dino. So then once Dino died, I'm like, shit, I don't like really H Town over no there because yeah. Dino was the one that had it. So. Yeah. But yeah, man, um, I got a lot of calls and emails and asking me, you know, where's that music? And I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about just from the United States. I got calls from overseas. I mean, emails from overseas. People asking me, hey, we want to hear that sex music. So I was like, man, I originated this as far as taking it to that extreme, saying things like fuck and pussy and all this on record. And you know, really taking it to that level, but nobody would accept it at that time. Now it's like the norm. So let me go on and give it to him. And if I give it to him, I'm going to give it to him how I gave it to you and twist it. That's why it's called twisted, because it is twisted. I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about everything that people, like they used to say about Richard Pryor. They used to say Richard Pryor would say what you're thinking, except he would say it for you because you won't say it. Hmm. So that's kind of what I do in my music. I say what you're thinking. I sing what you're thinking. You know what I mean? I, I sing what you're thinking. What, what you want to say to a girl, but you really don't, you're not going to say it because you kind of, you don't don't know what the reaction is going to be. Well, I love women. And one thing, I'm not scared of women. So it's not like you're going to kick my ass for saying it. So I'm going to say it. And I'm going to keep it real. And a lot of women appreciate that. You know? Yeah, I'm going to say, so what would you say your success rate is with the ladies, man, since you could seem like you kind of, you rarely direct. So, what is the success rate? Oh, I'm batting, my, my batting average is, is real good. So, what, <laughs> any, any guys that's listening to the interview, what tips would you give them for, like, stepping up the girls and all that? Listen, man, get rid of the representatives. That's what I would tell them. Now you're going to say, what does that mean? No, nah, I got, I know what it means. <laughs> okay. All right, there you go. Yeah. Get rid of the representative. When you meet a girl and you bring out that representative of who you are, fire that person. Give them their walking papers mm -hmm. and be you. Be yourself from Jump Street because you, and, and ladies too, get rid of your representative because when you meet somebody and they got their representative out portraying who you think this other person wants you to be, well, that's what they believe. And then after you get comfortable because you got the person, then you get rid of the representative and then the real person comes out and then the first thing the other person go, says is, oh, they changed. No, they didn't change. The real person came out. Mm -hmm. So from Jump Street, get rid of the representative and be yourself from the beginning. If all you want to do is have sex, say Look, I'm feeling you, and I really want some of that because it's looking good to me. And I'm not making these are things that I say, you know. <laughs> these are things that I say to women. Yeah, too, huh? Man, look, man, you gotta get a hundred no's before you can get one yes. And I don't mind no, I, shit. And I, I don't mind no, and I love yes. Uh -huh. So. <laughs> It, that it, it, it does not bother me, but you'd be surprised at how few knows you get. I would say, but you gotta talk about the So Goals challenge you did too. That was crazy. I just I was watching it today. 
What you want? What you want? What you want to talk about? First, man? I want to talk about that girl in the background. Who is that? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, she just you know somebody that came through for me. You should have had her turn around though. Shit. Well, see, she didn't turn around because I was actually when I was trying thinking about how I was gonna put the video together, and I was like, I'm not getting ready to put no big production into this. This is just you know a challenge, right? So, but I was trying to be creative. I wanted the fellas to have something to look at. I'm a guy, so I, you know, I'm a man, so I think like a man. So I'm always thinking, what would I want to see? You know, I know this guy is singing to the ladies, and what he's talking about is for the women, but I don't want to see him. Yeah, you, you, know? you got it right. That was smooth. That was you know smooth. what I'm saying? I don't want to see him. Any guy ain't checking for me. And I don't want you to be checking me, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so, um, I was like, oh, okay. Well, Monica and her challenge had Missy did. Oh. Had Miss, she had Missy in the background, and Missy never turned around. She had the baseball cap on, and she was and she was dancing, and she never turned around. So, my boy Crader, Joseph, who you know he's a filmmaker, my boy Crader. He was sitting, he was like, well, man, why don't we do that same thing? Just have her naked for the fellas. And I was like, right, for the fellas. We got to have it for the fellas. I always got to have something in there for the fellas. So, you know, I made a few phone calls, man, and got yeah, somebody to come it through. It didn't get back page, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> now, I know about back page, but I didn't go to back page. <laughs> but I ain't on front. I know about back page. I'm going to keep it real with you. You can like, salute the back page. Yeah. <laughs> So what are some of your uh, interests and hobbies outside of making music? Women, beach, and I ain't talking about walks on the beach, man. Uh, that, that, I, didn't, I didn't mean to sound cliche with that. I really absolutely love the beach. Like, I go to the beach. I pray at the beach. That's, that's my church because I really feel like when you're standing at the beach, you're really on the edge of the world because out there is a, really a whole another world, mm. you know? It really is. It's a whole nother world. I mean, it's the earth is 70% water. You know what I'm saying? It could swallow us up anytime. <laughs> so it's a whole nother world out there, man. And, you know, I don't know, maybe that's just the, the art, artist in me or whatever, but I love looking out there and, at the water. I write a lot of my songs like that, looking out there and just, you know, thinking. Uh, so. What's your favorite that, beach you went to? What's my favorite what? Beach. Malibu. Mm. Malibu. And it's a certain beach in Malibu. I don't want to name which one it is. To me, because... No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Now, I don't know. Like, I think something going to come to see me. Not because of that. Because, man, when I first started going to this beach, it was so secluded and private. Nobody knew about it. Because if you're driving down Pacific Coast Highway... And you don't know it's there. You'll drive right by it. Uh -huh. You see what I'm saying? So when I first started going here, man, it was beautiful. Nobody knew about it. The parking lot would be empty. You don't have to worry about parking. And get to the beach. People would be out there nude. Women would be out there, you know, sunbathing nude because not a lot of people knew about it. And then all of a sudden, man, everybody started 
you know, going to this beach. So I'm not trying to populate, you know, populate it anymore right. than it is. <laughs> but it's, it's it's out past Zuma, man. It's out past Zuma Beach in Malibu, and it's a really nice spot, man. And that's where I go. All right. So describe uh, uh, some of your daily habits and rituals you have. Uh, I get up. I work out. I, I thank God for waking up, and I spend most of my day, you know, I mean, the average day I wake up, you know, I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing the same thing everybody else does, this, you know, trying to get ahead and, you know, trying to achieve greatness. Uh, I check my emails, I see what business I got to take care of and things like that, and then I go get my workout on, and then I come back. And then I figure out my next move. Am I going to the studio tonight? Am I, um, you know, am I writing tonight? What is it that I'm doing? You know, am I am I reading tonight? You know, what? What kind of stuff you read? What kind of books you read? I like things like that are captivating. That are, but also give you some knowledge at the same time mm. um, I like mysteries because I feel like life is a mystery mm. I mean which it is you know it's, there's no blueprint to life this is a it's a mystery we're living out you know so I, I like things like that because I, I rarely watch TV but when I do watch TV those are the kind of things that I do watch you know now, what you talk about some of the sacrifices you made for your career so far? Everyone you can think of in the book, um, except uh, you know, I I sacrificed a lot, man. Um, I have two children. I mean, I've always been in my children's life, always taking care of my children. But you know, time is something that you can't get back. And, you know, I, I'm going to keep it 100. You know, there's been a lot of times that I have, you know, oh, I got I to gotta, I gotta get this song done. I'm in the studio. I can't do this. Or I, could, I, could, I didn't do that. But, you know, I, I raised my son from when he was in seventh grade to adult. My daughter is 15. And it's funny you ask me that question because... Before I put this album out, I didn't really, I can't, I couldn't say when it came to my children, I made a lot of sacrifices. But I think with this album, and another reason why this album is so important to me is because I missed a lot of my daughter's freshman year, sophomore year in high school, because I was so indulged in this album you know so even though she she's at that age where she is not you know trying to holler at daddy ain't on netflix nights and you know you know she's not that she's always gonna be daddy's little girl but you know she's at that era where it's all about her friends now right. you know what i mean it's all about her friends oh daddy i'm going with my friends i'm going to skate we're going to skate I'm going to roller skating, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to Magic Mountain. I'm going to Disneyland. It's all about our friends. Mm -hmm. 
So, but I still wish I had, you know, spent a whole lot more time doing that. So that that's a big sacrifice for me. Because like I said, time is something you can't get back. So what motivates you to keep uh, doing it, making music? Because I don't ever want my kids struggling going through the things that I went through. My son is also in the music industry. He's getting ready to graduate um, from LA Film School with a degree in audio engineering. And he is dope. And I'm not saying that just because he's my son. Because there was a time when he was not dope. And he came to me and said, Dad, I want to be in the music industry. And I was like, okay. So I drew, I drew a treble clef. I don't know if you can see that. But I drew a treble clef and on a piece of paper and I showed it to him. And I was like, what is this? And he stared at it for a long time. And then he was like, I don't know. And I was like, okay, well, don't come to me and tell me you want to be in the music industry until you know what this is. Because I feel like if you're going to be in this industry, you should know everything about it. Even if it means not being cool, because that's what I did. Like I said, me and R. Kelly, we met in the choir at Kenwood Academy. I joined the choir instead of the basketball team, football team, any sports. I joined the choir because I always knew what I wanted to do with my life. And if I was going to do that, I needed to learn everything about it. You know what I mean? So he did the same thing. He got in school. He tried the track team first, and then he was like, this semester, I'm, I'm joining the choir. And he joined the choir. And then he started perfecting his skills. And he started perfecting his writing. And he started reading more. Because I told him, the more you read, the stronger your vocabulary is. And the stronger your vocabulary is, the stronger your writing is going to be. And now, man, he is just, he amazes me. I mean, real talk, he amazes me. He, he was spit some stuff that he's written and I'll go, wow. I mean, if you don't believe me, man, check him out, man. It's, uh, just go to YouTube and go under Junior. J-O-O-N-Y-A. Junior. Say it again. J-O-O-N-Y-A. Junior. That's my son. You got, you know, let's check out Fly Fresh. Check out, you know, his, uh, him and uh, my nephew's track boss, who's a producer and rapper. They got a, a mixtape called Smoke Session. Check that out. I mean, you know, he really perfected his craft, and and, and now it's just, and that was back then. That was like 2010 or, <laughs> you know. He on he, it now, huh? Yeah, he, he, he's a beast now. He's, he's a real beast. But to get back to your question, I don't. I work so hard and I dedicate so much of my time to, you know, succeeding and putting some more plaques on my wall because I don't want him to have to struggle like I struggle. I don't want my daughter to want for anything. I don't want her to want for anything from a man. None of that because I'm that man that's going to give her that. You know, just like cricket. Chris Rock said, it is our job to keep our daughter daughters off the pole. Off the pole. <laughs> <laughs>
So what advice would you give to uh, aspiring artists might want to get in this industry? The same advice I gave to my son, you know, learn what you want to do. Learn your craft. Don't just, you know, your boy say, man, I got a, you know, logic up and it's dope loops and some dope beats. So I got a, a beat off the Internet and mm, excuse me. I got a beat off the internet and it's dope. Come through. I'm going to record you. And that's what happens. And they record. And they put a song out. And a lot of, you know, sometimes, you know, song hits. That they got a hit out. But they didn't do no work. Yeah. They they, and and then when it's time to perform, don't know what to do. Just grab a mic and get on stage. And don't have a clue that. When you get on stage, the anxiety of the crowd, especially if you got a crowd, okay, if you have a crowd of one or fifty thousand, and I've had both, the crowd is going to take fifty percent of your energy away. Wow! Because you are really, man. You ever seen Michael Jackson step on stage, and before he starts his show, he just stands there. For like 10 minutes. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's like stands there for 10 minutes. Because he is absorbing all that energy that's in that building, in that stadium, whatever it is. He, he's, he's bringing all that in. You he know what I'm saying? superhero shit, huh? Huh? I said he on some superhero shit, ain't he? But he on some superhero shit, but he also <laughs> on some real shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, so with that being said getting back to my point you get out there beat starts crowd starts crowds feeling you they're going crazy well now half your energy is gone uh -huh. so what do you see you see a lot of these cats on stage and they out of breath yeah they out of breath because they're not working with you, you need a full, at least a good 70%. You know what I mean? You need to be at 100, but like I said, the crowd going to take some of that percent, a lot of that percentage away. And they already probably drunk and high, too. <laughs> you know, but if you are going over your routine for 10 hours a day, every single day, just constantly, same thing. And, you know, I've gone through this before. Man, I'm tired. <sighs> doing the same thing we got it i got it i got it this is we, we, we've done it a hundred times i got it but that's not enough you gotta keep going you gotta keep doing it you know why because when you keep doing it and keep doing it throughout that 10 hour day and that day you have a show well guess what you only gotta go on stage and do it one time so that's gonna be easy for you uh-huh because every other day You've you done it. Ten hours. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So rehearse, rehearse, practice, feed your brain with knowledge so you can't be taken advantage of, and copyright your music. Always copyright your music so you can get paid. And steady grind. Don't quit. I mean, everything else is acceptable. Falling down is acceptable. You know, losing is acceptable because. You, you gotta lose to win. You wanna lose. Um, all of that crying, you know, 
breaking down, sacrificing, all that's acceptable because you're going to go through all of that. But quitting, that's not acceptable. That's not acceptable. My, my parents didn't raise a quitter. My dad didn't raise a man who's a quitter. So quitting is not an option. Don't ever let nobody tell you you're too old, you're too young, you this, you that. You can do whatever you want. Just, man, do some research. Re start doing research. Find out how old, what's his name, Ed Kroc, mm -hmm. the guy who started McDonald's. Yeah. Find out how old he was when he started McDonald's. I know the answer, but I'm not going to say it. Because I want people to do their research. Find out how old he was when he started McDonald's. And now they got McDonald's in, in Russia, China. So what, what would you like to say to all your fans and supporters so far? They've been supporting you so far. What would I like to say to them? Mm -hmm. Thank you and I love you. <laughs> real talk. I mean, that's, that's just real talk. I mean, people that get where I'm going. And get what I mean. I, I, I always got to use the phrase, it ain't nothing but some real shit, man. It just ain't nothing but some real shit. You know, I always use that. I kind of say it in a joking matter, but I really mean that. Because it's just some real shit. My yeah. album, it's just some real okay, shit. Okay, so what's the realest thing, like, one of your fans did for you? Huh? What's like, the, I'm sorry? Like, the realest moment you had with one of your fans. Like, the realest thing that happened with one of your fans. Um, in what respect? Like, what, what do you mean? When you say... I mean, I don't know, like, some... You know how like, some people be like, oh, they got, like, a tattoo on, on me. Like, you know how some fans get tattoos and shit, or, like, they come meet you from another country, or just... I've had... I've had both. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, 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 I've had both, actually. And that's that's keeping it 100. With those two things you just named, I've had both of those things. So who would you say your number one fan is? Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> uh, like, would, is it like some people? Like, I don't know, cause I know, like, let's say, like, when you have fans or whatever, is it like people you always remember no matter what, or is it like you forget the names, or is it like you know what I'm saying? Well, if you asked me that question before 2004, I could tell you. My number one fan was probably my best friend, Byron. Uh -huh. um, we've been best friends since second grade. And he has always, you know, supported what I did. Always, you know, when I fell down. And I can't, him and my cousin Dre. My cousin Dre and my boy Major. But Byron passed away in 2014. So, I mean, 2004. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, I know if he was still here today, he would be supporting me 100%, and he always did. And my boy Major, he's the reason I went solo, because after, I don't know, Beaver Brazil, after Beaver Brazil, after we broke up, I was sitting up talking to him, and I was like, yeah, I got to, you know, figure out what my next endeavor is going to be and put another group together. And he was like, man, why are you putting another group together? He was like, do you. He was like, it's time to do you. Just do you. And he's really the one who gave me that confidence to just, hey, go ahead and do me. All right, man. I want to say thank you for coming through politics with me. Oh, man. Anytime, brother. Anytime. We appreciate Anytime. it. Is there anything we didn't cover you like to talk about? 
Um, I don't think so. I mean, if you, like I said, I just, it, I like, I, I don't know, I don't like to do a whole lot of talking about myself, you know what I mean? Because it, it comes off the wrong way, you know? I can sit here and tell you, you know, all the people I've worked with, from the Jamie Foxes to the Dallas Austins to the Teddy Riley's, didn't I say anything? I just like talking about myself? I'm doing it right. <laughs> Sometimes no. you got to, man. You remember like Dion, Muhammad Ali, shit, Ric Flair, <laughs> Rock, shit. That shit sells, shit. You don't do it. Nobody gonna do it sometimes. You know what man. I'm saying? But, man, uh, yeah, man, I've I, I worked with all those people and I learned from all those people. You know, being in the studio with Dr. Dre, I hear a lot of people say things about Dr. Dre, like, uh, Dr. Dre, he don't do this, he don't do that, he gets beats from this person, that person, he do this. Well, a lot of people do that. But that does not discredit Dr. Dre's talent and his skills because I've been in the studio with him and I've seen track before. The doctor actually performed surgery on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Since we're speaking in those in, in, in that uh, perspective, and then after Drake put his touch on it, it's like wow, mm. wow. And I would just like sit back and watch him. And anybody I worked with, you know, when I worked with Dallas Austin, I would sit back and watch him. Teddy Riley, uh, Devontae Swain, Timberland. I just sit back and watch him. See what they're doing because the day you start learning, man, you lost in this world. You got to keep learning, and I would always want to learn. I, I mean, I would sit back and watch R. Kelly. He taught me a lot of things. I taught him an awful lot of things. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you just you just got to keep learning, man. 